Now, one of uh, my favorite parts of the Christmas season is all of the Christmas music. And uh, I love the special music that the choir does. Uh, David does an incredible job with Ave Maria. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite things about this season is just all of the, the Christmas music. There's nothing that ushers in the Christmas season quite like your favorite Christmas song. And, Amen. Yeah. And I'll never forget when I was growing up, you know, one of my favorite memories at Christmas time was when we would decorate the tree and would, you know, put the ornaments and the garland and throw the tinsel on there. I always liked to be the one that stood way back and threw the tinsel and it would just make a huge mess. But, uh, but the, the fun part about it is we would always uh, put, you know, some Christmas records on the record player and, um, and play those and would sing and would dance, would have a great time together. Uh, one of my favorite things that we do as a family now is is we'll make some hot chocolate and we'll load up in the van and we'll drive around to go see all the Christmas lights, but we're blasting out those Christmas carols, those Christmas songs on the radio while we're going out and doing it and having a good time. There's just something about Christmas music during the season that just makes it feel like Christmas. Whether it's Bing Crosby singing White Christmas or Mariah Carey lip-syncing along with All I Want for Christmas... You know, everybody, you know, has a song or a moment uh, when you just know that it's Christmas. And I wonder what that song is for you. What song, you know, is your Christmas song that just makes you feel like it's Christmas? In most recent years for me, I would say my absolute favorite Christmas time song is Oh Holy Night. Uh, and... Uh, the, all right. Well, good. Well, we're, we're, we're kindred spirits because there's something about that song for me that just captures the hope of Christmas. It speaks about the difficulties of the world, the weariness that we experience, the oppression that exists, the evidence of sin. But then on the night of our Savior's birth, there's this breaking in of something new, one who comes, who can conquer sin and death, one who can change our lives for the good, one who has changed the world. And so for me, it's my anthem of hope. That that song is Christmas for me. So there's something that's special about songs at Christmas time. And I, I think one of the amazing things, one of the great things about uh, singing songs at Christmas is that that's been a part of the Christmas story since the very beginning, since the very first Christmas, even before Jesus was born. There were songs that were being sung to celebrate what his birth would mean, offering the kind of hope that this world needs. And so over the next four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into some of these original Christmas songs. They are found in Luke's gospel in the first two chapters, and this biblical album, Christmas album, includes songs by you know, Mary and Zachariah. The angels sing a song. Simeon's got a song on here. And whether you've heard them before or not, they are packed full of hope for us. And so I, I invite you each week to come, to invite somebody to come along with you as we hear these biblical Christmas hymns. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin with the first song that appears on the album. It's Mary's song. Oftentimes, it's known by its Latin name, the Magnificat, because of the way that it begins. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. I'll invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles with me there. 
Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 46 through 55. As you're turning, uh, I'll remind us, we read the Bible because we believe that this is the Word of God. It's inspired by God and it reveals God to us. As we read the Bible, we come to know God. We come to know ourselves and we learn to live how God has created us to live. This song that Mary sings, uh, it comes after she was visited by an angel. An angel comes to her and tells her that she's going to give birth to a son. She's going to name him Jesus, that he's going to be great, that he would be given the throne of David, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Mary is kind of perplexed by all of this, wondering in amazement about what's taking place. And when this angel leaves, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth so that she can kind of process all that's unfolding. Her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant with a a miracle child. And when they meet, this child inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy. It senses and it knows this baby inside of Mary's belly is somebody who is special, somebody who's going to change the world. It's the Holy Spirit sensing and recognizing that this is the Christ. Elizabeth says, Mary, you know, you are somebody who has been blessed by God. And in response, Mary belts out uh, this beautiful song. Beginning here in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let's say thanks be to God. So as Mary uh, sings out, she's recognizing that there's something significant about this baby that's to be born. There's something significant that this baby's birth is going to mean for her and for the whole world. That there's a promise that's being answered and proclaimed all at the same time. So she begins to sing out in praise. As any good prayer begins, she sings out in words of praise, giving thanks to God, saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul gives glory to my God. Mary recognizes what God has done for her and for all people, how God has looked upon her with favor despite her lowly place. See, Mary is a young girl in a patriarchal society, a peasant girl in the lowly city of Nazareth. She's somebody who could have just blended into the background to never be noticed. I mean, between her and Joseph, they couldn't even get a good room for the baby to be born in. Yet God has looked on her with favor. God noticed her in her lowly estate and he valued her. I remember uh, the first job I had uh, after college, I was a custodian at a church. I uh, worked for a guy who was, he was the, kind of the head of the facilities and maintaining everything and keeping things clean. And uh, Joe was his name and he was just this 
I don't know. I thought he was a good guy, a little rough around the edges, uh, but just had a good heart. And every morning now I'd get in, I'd stroll into work and we'd sit down and have a, a cup of coffee together. And he'd always have these things that he'd share, that he'd talk about. Uh, and one of the things that I'll never forget that he said, is, and I don't think he would have ever thought that I was going to be a pastor at the time. I never thought I was going to be a pastor, uh, but it's the way God works sometimes, I guess. Uh, but he told me, he says, you know what? He's like, when you're at a church, he's like, you need to speak to everybody. You know, you need to notice everybody. And he was kind of saying the pastor of the church where we were at, he felt like the pastor only noticed or paid attention to the people who seemed important or, or seemed as though, you know, they, they were a little bit higher than other people. And he just kind of would walk by uh, as though he had his head in the clouds, or I think Joe might've said he had his head somewhere else, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but he just missed out on, on people altogether. And Joe was just adamant. He said, you have to notice people. You have to, to value people. You have to see them. And, and I, hope, I hope that's been my approach with how I interact with people. I hope I approach people in that way. If not, Joe, has, he's since gone on. Uh, he'd probably come back and haunt me and you know, get me back into shape. Uh, but, but I really appreciated that message. And I think that's in part what, what Mary is saying that God does. It's a value that's important for us as people because it's a way that, that God sees and approaches us. Uh, Mary says that God looks on her in her lowly estate. God didn't come to her because, you know, she was at the top of the world because she seemed like she had it all together. God came to her in her lowliness. There's good news in that for us. Because regardless of how the world views us, regardless of our place in society's social stratosphere, uh, regardless of how highly thought of we are or are not, God looks with favor on the lowly. You know, it's this theme that we see throughout Scripture. God calling the lowly and lifting them up to high places. You know, Abraham was just an average guy. Minding his own business, and God shows up. Says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Uh, Moses was out in a field tending to flocks after he had run away from all of his problems in Egypt. And God shows up and uses him to be the one who brings deliverance to the people of Israel. A couple of weeks ago, we heard the story of Gideon. And Gideon tells God, he's like, God, I'm the... I'm the least in my family. Uh, we're in the smallest clan and one of the least tribes in all of Israel. Yet God used him to bring deliverance to the people. And David, uh, he was the least in his family. And God raised him up to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. Peter was a fisherman. God made him to be a rock of the church. Paul was on his way to lock up Christians and God called him to a change in career paths. And he ended up writing half of what we have as the New Testament. God looks on the lowly and he lifts them up. There is nobody who is too low, no one who is too insignificant, nobody who is so small that God does not notice, nobody that God does not see, that God does not reach out to. There's nobody no one who is beyond the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus. Jesus who enters into the world amongst the lowest of the low. Born in a stable and the major, entering into the muck and the dirt and everything around us. Showing us there's, there's no low that's beyond how low he might go to reach us, to lift us up. And if you hear nothing else this morning... I hope you hear that there is a God who sees you. 
in the challenges that you face, in the difficulties you encounter, in the struggle that you find yourself in, in whatever anxieties that are taking place in your life. If you feel abandoned or alone, know that God sees you, that he is with you. And this God who sees you is a good God. A God who is faithful, a God who is mighty, a God who is loving and merciful, a God who is holy and just. I mean, these are the words that Mary uses to describe this God who has seen her, who has looked upon her with favor in her lowly estate. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, it's this understanding of God that Mary offers to us that gives us even more hope. I mean, it's great to know that God sees us. It's great to know that God recognizes us. Man, it's pretty incredible to know that this God who sees us and knows us is also powerful, is merciful, and is holy. See, when we say that God is powerful, when we say that he is the mighty one, we're recognizing that there is nothing that is impossible for God. You know, with with people, there are things that are impossible. But with God, there is nothing that is impossible. When you believe and you trust in an all-powerful God, there is no problem that can become all-consuming. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment or that, had that experience, right, where there's this difficulty, this problem, this challenge, and it just takes up every part of your life. It takes up every part of your time. This all-powerful God is a reminder to us that we can take that and, and place it into his hands. Because with him, it's possible. He is the one who makes ways where there doesn't seem to be a way. And so our problems don't have to become all-consuming because we can place them in the hands of a God who is all-powerful. When we recognize that God is holy, we recognize that God is perfect, that he is lacking in nothing, now, one of the challenges that we face in the world around us is that, that our, our world has kind of become so filled with sin that we just almost accept it as the way that things are, right? We get used to, uh, we get used to it. We get used to hatred and division and racism and immorality. We get used to greed and anger being the way of the world, the, the way that you have to operate and the way you have to live to, to succeed in this world. We get used to lies and deceit, but God never gets used to it. Because God is holy. Because God is just. We say that God is merciful. It means that God looks at us in the midst of our sinful state. In the midst of all of the evil that exists in the world. And he has compassion upon us. God sees us in our weakness. He sees us perishing because of our sin. God says, I'm going to do something about it. God's mercy is displayed in Jesus coming to us. And offering us a way out of our faults and our failures and all the things that bring us down. God offers us mercy. Rather than the justice we deserve as a result of our sin, God replaces that with grace. He offers us forgiveness instead. Pastor and author Tim Keller, as he's reflecting on these attributes of God that Mary sings about, he says, because God is holy, he had to do something about our sin. Because God is merciful, he wanted to do something about our sin. Because God is powerful, he was able to do something. See, this is the hope of Mary's song. That God sees you in your lowly estate. 
God sees you even with all your faults and failures. God loves you enough not to leave you that way. God shows his mercy and his mind and that he came to save you. This would be remarkable in and of itself. But I think this story is, is even more exciting when we think about the way that God goes about it. Mary says, uh, as Jesus is entering the world, as Jesus is offering God's salvation to us, says that God has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And Jesus doesn't come in to save the world in the ways that we think he does. Rather, he turns the ways of the world upside down. You see, if I was writing a story of rescue, a story of redemption, and I was talking about somebody who was powerful and merciful that was coming to save people, it'd probably look a little bit more like a superhero story than a baby that's born in a manger uh, to a peasant girl. Or the story I would write would probably look, you know, like the like an Avengers movie. You know, Captain America coming in with his shield and bashing people in the head. Or, you know, Iron Man swooping and flying in and having his, his huge tower that he lives in so that everybody can kind of see and know how great Tony Stark is or it'd be you know the hulk right you wouldn't like me when i'm angry and he's smashing everything that would be my story it'd be a battle with evil and huge explosions and great armies that are clashing and there'd be grand entrances and flashing lights and great fanfare Jesus enters into the world in a completely different way. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to abolish things that are, so that no one can boast in the presence of God. So the very thing that Mary sings about is this wonder of Christmas that God comes to us in the person of Jesus in a way that turns our world upside down. Because our world tends to function with this, you know, might makes right attitude. If you want to win, you got to be as strong as the person next to you or stronger. And we become willing to rewrite the rules if it means that we have a chance at winning at life, to give ourselves a greater position of strength. If you want to change the world, you have to have the power to do so. You have to have the money to do so. You got to have the smartest team to do so. I mean, I remember uh, it was either high school or college. There was this uh, hip hop song. Uh, I, I liked it at the time. Now I'm kind of thinking it wasn't maybe the best, uh, but it was "Money, Power, and Respect" was the name of it. And it's you know, money, power, and respect is what you need in life. It says first you get the money, and after you get the money, you get the power. After you get the power, then you get respect. And it's talking about that's the way the world operates. That's the world that we live in. But Jesus came and he turned all that upside down. Jesus came uh, not uh, with uh, bringing great wealth, not in showing himself off, not in making a big deal about himself, but he came as a humble servant. Rather than a race to try to make it to the top, Jesus looks for ways that he could serve. Rather than living to impress the rich and the powerful, Jesus spends time with the lowly and the untouchable. And when Jesus' ministry started, he didn't take up among the elite. He did not gather a band of the most highly educated people to be his followers. He didn't gather the wealthy together so they could fund his mission. He didn't present himself to the kings and Caesars to gain their approval and support. Rather, Jesus went and he gathered tax collectors and fishermen. 
he scraped the bottom of the Galilee barrel so he could find hearts that were willing to be open to the kind of good news that he was bringing. And this method that Jesus used, this way that he went about things, it often uh, drew questions, drew a little bit of even anger from those who were at the top, those who were in the positions of authority, those who were powerful and influential. They'd ask Jesus, you know, why? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you spending your time with them? You know, don't you see? We could have this great, this great place for you. Here's a nice big table, a nice chair. It's all comfy and nice. Why are you going and sitting and eating with them? Don't you see they're beneath you? And on one particular occasion, Jesus responds uh, to these questions and he answers. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, you know, I came to save those who are lost, those who have come to recognize that they need saving, those who recognize their lowly estate and turn to me for mercy. I came for the people who recognize that they're not well and there's something that's not well about this world that they live in. So they want something different. See, some of us, Some of us are too proud to admit that we need a savior. Some of us try to solve all of our problems on our own. Some of us are too proud to admit that we need somebody who can make us well. I I don't know about you, but I hate asking for help. (laughs) If I've got a problem, it's like, I want to, I want to fix it myself. I don't want to ask somebody else to come. I'll get to it eventually. You know, I'll I'll take care of it and and I'll get it done. I have a hard time. There's something about our pride that prevents us from being able to recognize that we need help from something or someone outside of ourselves. And this kind of cultural, uh, you know, milieu that we live in, this way of the world around us, it invades our spiritual lives as well to where we think that I'm good enough on my own. I've got it figured out on my own. I can make well and do enough on my own. That's why Jesus uh, comes for those who recognize that they have a need. It's part of Mary's song that those who are rich, those who think they've got it all figured out, those who have it all together, Those who are filled, those who are sitting up in their positions of power are brought low because they miss out on the need that they have for Jesus. They miss out on the need they have for a Savior. It's only those who have humbled themselves to the point of recognizing, I need a Savior, that have the opportunity to encounter and know Jesus. It's only those who recognize their need, who find hope and strength in Jesus. It's only those who recognize they are in need of a Savior that finds salvation. Only those who are lost that can be found. Only those who are weak that can be lifted up and made strong. Only those who are hungry that are filled with good things. This is what Mary's song reminds us of at Christmas. It's the hope that it offers and brings to us. God remembers us. He sees us in our lowly estate and he invites us. Not to try to figure it out or fix it on our own, but to place our hope and our trust in Jesus. God looks and he sees a world in sin and error pining, a world that's weary and worn down. He says, I've come to set things right. Jesus came to save and to forgive, to heal and to make whole, to deliver those who are held captive, to give release to those who are addicted, to offer hope and peace. And it's available to all who are humble enough to ask. 
All you have to do is ask. And he meets us right in the middle of the need. All we have to do is ask. And he offers forgiveness and grace to us. All we have to do is ask. And he lifts us up. He raises us up. He gives us the strength that we need.